Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. Over the last almost two years, I've been beating around town in an old Jeep Wrangler. It is an absolute beater. It's a 97, it's lifted, it's made to go off-road, and I have this incredible love-hate relationship with the vehicle. There are days where I absolutely love it. The sun is out, I take the top off, my wife is sitting next to me. I love those moments. And then there's days like today where I hate the vehicle, where I get in the thing and I literally have to take the squeegee and get the moisture off the interior windows so that I can actually see out them. Many of you are Jeep owners, and and you also know that sometimes the hate relationship comes when this check engine light pops on in your Jeep. This happens quite frequently for me. I often wonder when the Jeep owners give me the little, hey, what's up? It's a Jeep thing. I think maybe they're saying my light's on too, but I, I don't know what's going on. But I think it's important for us to pay attention when warning lights go on in life. The warning light in my Jeep gets my attention. It makes me aware that I might not arrive at my final destination. It makes me aware that I might be stranded. And it gets my attention to understand what is going on under the hood. Church, we need warnings in our lives. Warnings are a good thing. Warnings are important. We need warnings because strong starts don't always lead to strong finishes. This is what I want to talk to you about today. The fact that strong starts don't always lead to strong finishes, and there are things out there that can derail us and keep us from finishing the way that we're intended to finish. Truth is, sometimes we get derailed, and sometimes it's our own fault, sometimes it's other circumstances, it depends. But we need to be aware that there are derailers out there that keep us from reaching that finish line. An incredible example of this happened a couple years ago at the Winter Olympics. Check out this video. Going into the penultimate jump, she was ahead of Switzerland's Tanya Friesen by a huge margin. If she stayed on her board, the gold medal was hers. What happened next became one of the most infamous moments in the history of the Olympic Winter Games. So just two jumps to go, and Jacob Ellis is down! Jacob Ellis has fallen! Looked like a moment of indecision there, and Tanya Friesen from Switzerland has passed her and is going to get the gold medal. What a heartbreak for Jacob Bellis. What was she thinking in the air with just two jumps to go? As she'd gone over the penultimate jump, Jacob Bellis had attempted a method grab, a simple move where the rider grabs the heel side of the board during a rotation. Easy enough, but this was a strange time to try it. Why even attempt it? A 20-year-old in the Olympics... The finish line is literally right there. She is about to get gold. Her life is about to be changed. And pride and arrogance become the derailer. She attempts a, tr- a trick to kind of show off that her lead is so substantial to the, en- to, the, to the competition behind her, and she goes down. She's derailed. Church, we sometimes need to remember that we have a finish line that's pretty golden as well. We need to remember that we're on a journey towards a finish line. There's a mansion being prepared in heaven for us. We need to realize that the gold is there, and we need to do all we can to get to that finish line. We need to be careful not to pull a Jacob Ellis. We need to be careful and understand that strong starts don't always lead to strong finishes. 
Today we're going to look at a warning. We're going to look at a warning light that has been given to us by Jude. He's going to show us some of these potential derailers that might mess us up and get us off track. We're in week two of our series, Stand Up Faith, and we're looking at the book of Jude. And you can go ahead and turn there with me if you would right now. We're going to be looking at Jude verses 5 to 7. Jude is this little letter. It's the next to last book of the Bible. It's right there before Revelation. And, and there's no chapter, just one chapter. That's why it's Jude 5 to 7. If you're interested and you've been reading Jude, I encourage you also to go back and read 2 Peter 2. It's almost identical to Jude. If I had Jude and I had Peter in my RTI classrooms and they both submitted these letters, they would be in my office. We'd be talking about who copied from whom, but we believe this is an inspired word of the God. And so I don't think they copied each other. I think they probably did have a common teacher somewhere along the line. But we're reading Jude verses 5 to 7. So I remind you, Though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. This is the word of the Lord. It's delightful today. <laughs> Learned a valuable lesson a couple of weeks ago when a beloved member of the preaching team came and said, hey, would you be able to fill in for me on this one weekend? And I said yes before looking at the delightful verses that I would get to preach from. <laughs> valuable lesson learned. And Truth is, I'm glad that I get to be here today because here's the deal. Scripture here and other places does make clear the reality of judgment and death. Scripture, throughout Scripture, we see these intense warnings that we are given. And while these might not be topics that we enjoy processing together, we here at Salem Alliance aren't going to avoid them either. And there's an applicable warning, an applicable message here for us today. Let me remind you again of the context that Jude is writing. Jude is kind of, he's the brother of Christ and the kingdom of God is starting. The church is starting to form. And he's a church planner and he's got multiple communities of faith in this region. And these communities of faith are starting to grow. God is moving. The spirit is falling. They are breaking bread together. They are caring for one another and their community. They are bringing peace to their little towns. And they're doing it and it's going well. And thus the urgency of this letter You see, Jude knows that these people are susceptible to the false teaching that is coming in. And there's this false teaching that has been just been, he's heard about that is coming to this area. The false teaching as Steve unpacked for us last week is this this taking grace for granted, this cheapening of grace, this idea that you can do whatever you want. It's no big deal. God's grace will cover it. Live however you want. And these false teachers are coming in and they're redefining reality and they're redefining who Jesus is. And so Jude realizes that these people are vulnerable and writes this urgent and intense warning letter. Like Jude today, I find myself talking to an incredible community that is off to a great start, a community that is bringing peace to their city, a community that is listening to the spirit of God, a community that is moving forward in a positive and healthy way. 
But some things never change. And just as in the days when Jude ministers, as is true in the days today, some things never change. The enemy is still out there looking to get us off course, looking to derail us, looking to dial up the pressure on the church. And just like the communities that received this letter, we too are susceptible. We too are susceptible to distractions and being derailed as individuals and as a corporate body. And so here in this letter, we have a warning. We have a call to recognize our own susceptibility. A call to recognize our own susceptibility. You see, the moment that we think we're not susceptible, that can't happen to me, is when we become most susceptible. We see it over and over in Scripture. The enemy is crouching at the door. He is looking to derail us, to devour us, to lie and destroy and take us off course. And so this morning, we take these words from Jude. We pause, we look at this warning, and we see how we can apply it to our lives today. What I want to do is I want to quickly summarize these three historical events that Jude recounts. The communities of faith were familiar with these, and I want to identify the strong start in each of these but I want to also identify what derailed them as we look at these three case studies. What was the derailing action that kept them from finishing strong? The first story that we have here are the Israelites escaping slavery in Egypt. Many of us are familiar with that story. If you're not familiar with it and you just signed up for Disney Plus and you got it for Christmas, go check out The Prince of Egypt. It might be more entertaining than reading it in Scripture, though that's also pretty entertaining. Unbelievable story, right? We know the story. The Israelites, they escape the slavery and they're leaving this area and God shows up in a huge way. The sea is parted and then it closes back on their enemy and they see the manifest glory of God day in and day out as manna comes from heaven that feeds them, as water comes from a rock. They see these miraculous events. They are led during the day by a specific cloud and at night by a pillar of fire. What an incredible time to be a follower. The miracles are right there in front of them day in and day out, and yet they still get derailed. Yet still their impatience of not getting out, the wandering sets in and they build a golden calf. They build an idol that they worship, and their primary sin is unbelief. That is what derails them. They are derailed by unbelief. This community got what they thought they wanted. But they die in the wilderness, never inheriting the promised land, never sitting at the banqueting table that was provided and made for and intended for them. They lapsed into unbelief and they never entered the place of blessing and rest. Their strong start did not lead to a strong finish. The same is true in the second story that we see here, these fallen angels. It's a bizarre story that we see in Genesis 6, and it's also recorded in the Apocrypha in the book of 1 Enoch. And it's, we see these angels, they're given these positions of authority, positions of power and leadership, and they're entrusted with the knowledge of heaven. They're given great responsibility. They're blessed with beauty and power and strength and a very clear purpose and assignment. They were watchmen and protectors of the human race. With their solid start also came some boundaries some guardrails of how they could utilize their power, how they could utilize their beauty. And they didn't like those, so they trespassed. So they crossed the line that was set for them. And the angels took advantage of and became intimate with the very humans that they were assigned to protect. They shared the knowledge of heaven that they were entrusted to guard. 
It's undoubtedly one of the strangest stories that we read in Scripture, and don't get hung up here. But what we need to take from here is that their primary sin was rebellion. They were derailed by rebellion. They didn't like the boundaries set up for them, so they crossed it, and they fall. The result is terrifying. The third and final story that we see here that's offered up is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were joined by three other cities on this peninsula that divides the the northern part of the Dead Sea from the southern part of the Dead Sea. And back in the day when Lot decided to graze his flock there, this was considered incredibly fertile land. Archaeologists confirm that though this land now is incredibly barren, I used to live near it, and there's nothing living there, trust me. Back in the day when Lot was there, this was fertile. There was fresh water. There was great agriculture. And that is why these five cities popped up on this peninsula, on this plain. They were off to an incredible start. They were expanding. They were growing. They were building their cities. They were secure. They were provided for. They had prime real estate next to the sea. And yet their solid start does not equal a solid finish. Their thirst for more takes over. They get greedy. In Ezekiel 16, we see Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. They feasted while the poor and needy suffered around them. They got greedy. The greed even led to sexual sins. The most grievous we see in Scripture was the demand for Lot's guests. These two men that visited him to be handed over to the crowd outside to be abused. Their place of blessing, the solid start that these cities on the peninsula started with was lost. Their expansion, their protection, their comfort was removed. They were derailed by greed, a greed that included lack of hospitality and incredible level of selfishness. And so in these three case studies, we see unbelief and rebellion and greed We see them enter in and corrupt. And though these were the underlying causes, the manifestations of what their sins looked like were many. But these seem to be the three underlying causes we see here. In church, I don't, we don't have all of the details, but I imagine that these things didn't just suddenly fall on these communities. I'm sure that they creeped in. They crept in deceptively over time, slowly, to the point where these communities had gone down a road that was the wrong road, and they were pretty far down the road when they realized they had taken a wrong turn somewhere back there, and they couldn't even identify when they started to go off the path. Unbelief, rebellion, and greed kept these communities from finishing well, from persevering to the end. They moved from a posture of worship to the God that they loved to turning their backs and receiving the judgment and the punishment of a just God. We don't read these stories simply for historical purpose. Jude recalls these, and he shares them with the communities that he is overseeing to awaken them, to challenge them, to stop, to pause, and consider what's going on in their own lives. I grew up in a little suburb of New York City, in New Jersey, and and when I was in middle school, there was a tragic event that happened in the high school. It was prom night, and there were some of the students that had a little too much to drink, and then they attempted to drive. And there was an accident that took the life of a student, and it created a, a sense of mourning and concern in our community. In the next couple of years, every year around prom time, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving would find the most destroyed car that had been in a wreck that they could find, and they would put it on the front lawn of our high school. 
They will put it on the front lawn there and it served a purpose. It was a warning. It served as a warning. And these mothers, it was their hope that the students would pause, that they would take notice. And every time they would enter the school, they would consider the boundaries that had been put in place to protect them that they would look at that car and realize they too are susceptible, susceptible to messing up, to being derailed. And as we look at these three examples, we need to look at them the way that I looked at that destroyed car every time I walked into that high school. I would look at that car and say, what do I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen to me? In church, we need to look at these case studies and we need to look at them and say, what do we have to do to make sure that doesn't happen to us? Our challenge this morning is to look at what preventative steps can we take to avoid a similar outcome? What do we do with the warning light that Jude gives us here? Two things that I want you to consider this morning. The first, would you please pause and pop the hood? Pause and pop the hood. Get a diagnosis of what is going on underneath. You see, when my Jeep, check engine light comes on on my Jeep, I pull over to the side of the road and out of my glove box, I get this little code reader. I wish we had one of these for our internal lives, right? I wish it was that easy. And I I get the code and I Google the code and I see how serious the issue is. And I see if I need to leave it parked or if I can keep driving to my destination or can I at least drive to a gas station and get the thing looked at. It gives me an understanding of what is causing that. In church, we need to stop. We need to get that diagnosis. We need to get our code readers out, and we need to ask ourselves some questions. We don't naturally do this, but it's important that we do. Where is unbelief creeping in in my life? Where might I be getting a little bit cynical? Where maybe am I avoiding shining a light because I know there's something there that I don't want to be confronted with? I've learned to, to not take these warning lights lightly in my own life. It's even little things. A couple of weeks ago, we're, we're worshiping here. Warning lights shouldn't be going off in here for me. And here we are singing, you're never gonna let me down. And for some reason, I have trouble on that day singing those words. And so I took note. And later in that day, I had to go and ask God, is there something that I'm not believing about your character right now? Shine a light, shine a light. Maybe you've been reading scripture and you come to where Christ says, I'm with you always. But for you in this season where he seems kind of silent, in this season of intense loneliness, you don't feel like that is true. Maybe you're beginning to doubt his presence and his protection and unbelief is starting to take hold. Or maybe it's a promise that you were given, a promise that actually seems way too good to be true. And you don't believe that that could actually happen. Kind of like the Israelites when we're knocking on the door of the promised land and they know it's the land of milk and honey and they're so excited to enter it and to to finally receive this incredible blessing. And yet the report comes back from the spies that there's giants in the land and the cities are fortified and unbelief comes in and they say, how could we ever defeat that? How could we ever take hold of that promise? Maybe it's not unbelief. Maybe it's rebellion. Rebellion's the original, original sin. Don't tell me what to do. How dare you tell me what to do? Where am I believing that his authority is not my authority? Has a level of rebellion taken root? Do you need to repent? Do you need to turn and declare once again your rule and your reign fully in my life, Lord? Or maybe it's greed. Greed is a mighty derailer. 
Jesus makes us clear. It's a, it's a blind spot for many. No one goes to a counselor. No one goes to a pastor and says, I have a greed problem. It's considered one of the seven deadly sins for a reason. In church, I believe our city struggles with greed and has for decades. Where are we looking to accumulate? Where are we looking to accumulate? Maybe it's not one of these three. Maybe it's pride, deception, envy, selfish ambition. Maybe it's anger. Can I encourage you this week to pause, to pop the hood, take out in one of your pauses this week, take out, look at Galatians 5. Look at these sins that corrupt. Look at the fruits of the Spirit and ask God to reveal where are you being held back? Where are you not living in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you? You see, if we ignore these things, they will fester. They will take hold. They will derail us. Bringing them into the light stops the festering. It diminishes their power. In church, we need to do it. Freedom needs to arise and strong finishes need to happen. The second preventative step that I want to share with you this morning is this. Remember the markers. Remember the faith markers in life. Don't forget what he has done in your life. Recall the stories of his presence. Recall the stories of his breakthrough. Recall the stories of his protection. You see, when we remember who he has been in the past and when he has shown up, it strengthens us and we are able to say with confidence who he'll be in the future. About eight years ago, my family lived through a pretty traumatic house fire. My family, we were all sleeping on the second floor and a fire began to burn in the middle of the night on our first floor. It was a pretty, pretty intense time for us. We, we awakened in the middle of the night and we could hear glass breaking downstairs and the flames and the heat was starting to come up to the second floor. And by the grace of God, we were protected and the whole family got out. And though we lost a good amount of, of belongings, I was surprised how little we actually did lose. But it was an intense season for our family. A month or two later, when we finally were able to move back into our newly remodeled downstairs of our house, some friends, some dear friends came over and they, and they gave me this gift. They gave my wife and I this. And this has become a faith marker for us. You see... The, the material on the inside and on the top of this is my wife's favorite lampshade, an antique lampshade that was destroyed in the fire, and they cut the pieces that had not burned out, and they gave it to us as a reminder. And it sits in my living room, and every time I see it, I say, God, you are a God that protected us. <laughs> I look at it, and I say, God, you saved us. You financially provided and got us back in the house. You showed me how much you love me through the community you brought around. Amen. It's a faith marker. Church, do you have your faith markers? Do you look back on them? Do you reflect on them? See, when we have these faith markers, we remember who he's been in the past and who he says he'll be in the future. The Israelites did this so well. They would set up those stones. They would build the altars. They would celebrate their rituals, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles. We as a church do this as well with our calendar. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate Pentecost. And we remember what he's done and what he says he'll do in the future. The Israelites did this so well. Psalm 78 tells us, I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not 
forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. We remember the miracles and it helps us stay on the path. It helps us finish. It helps disarm unbelief when we remember what he's done in the past. It is a vital part of preventative maintenance, keeping rebellion at bay. And so church, tell the testimonies, build the markers when he's shown up, when he's protected, when he's provided, when he's rescued. Release hope with your testimonies. Church, may we continue to be a people that understand and receive God's extravagant grace. May we continue to heed the warnings, to notice when the warning light is going off. May we pause, may we reflect, and may we be introspective. And may we be a people that continue to overcome. May we be a church that realizes that a banqueting table has been set for us. And may we be a people that finish strong. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We declare that you are a good father, that you have plans for each and every one of us. Lord, I release courage here today. I release a courage for people to open up the hood and see what's going on beneath the service. Lord, I release your spirit as the convictor. I bind condemnation. I bind condemnation in Jesus' name, but I release the conviction of the spirit, the gentle voice that looks to restore. So come, Holy Spirit. And I release an ability to remember the times that you have shown up in the past. I pray that you would descend and that you would remind our brothers and sisters that you have rescued, that you have protected, that you have healed. So come now, Lord. Help us remember these markers. Help us never to forget. And Lord, I pray that you would release hope. We declare that you are a good father and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.